Welcome to Dollars and Cents, creating your fulfilled life with Nicole Romito from Private Vista. In this podcast, we draw from years of experience as well as guest specialists to help you create the life you imagine. Join us in this journey as we enlighten and empower you to align your lifestyle to help you achieve your goals with a clear picture of your future. Now, let's get to the show. And welcome to the Dollars and Cents podcast with your host, Nicole Romito. Nicole, it is always a pleasure to be with you. How are you this time around? I am doing very well, Bill. Um, Excellent. Yeah. Always happy to be back in studio with you and uh, excited about our topic today because I think it's going to be uh, really of interest to everyone out there in the world. And if it's not, it should be. <laughs> so. Oh, gosh. Now, well, that begs the question, what is the topic for What today? are we talking about today? Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm very fortunate. I'd like to welcome, before I talk about our topic, I have Sarah Khan in studio with me. Hi, Sarah. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. And what Sarah and I are going to talk about today is uh, it is October, and that puts us right in the crosshairs of Cybersecurity Month. Oh, that's perfect, because it's Halloween and it's spooky and cybersecurity spooky to me. Exactly. Or lack thereof is lack, spooky. Exactly. Lack, <laughs> lack of security. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, I think there's lots of uh, lots of tricksters and fraudsters out there uh, all the time, but certainly during this time of year. And so Sarah and I are going to have a conversation about some things to be aware of and ways you can protect yourself um, because it's just getting harder and harder to not um, really not to have any participation in the cyber world. No, it's definitely an important topic, uh, especially to raise awareness, because I think the most uh, important part is educating our clients and basically the the folks that are sitting in front of computers engaging with the Internet. So um, love the opportunity to discuss uh, cybersecurity whenever possible, just because I think that the more ways and channels that we get this information out, hopefully people are more aware and educated on uh, some of the latest threats. Yeah, I I agree. And uh, I think you raise a really good point right out of the gate, Sarah, is the latest threats, because although we're in a very fluid world, whatever lens or angle you want to view it, certainly um, I feel like you and your team probably are able to combat or get strategies or firewalls or whatnot against one type of way to perform um, fraud. And then uh, unfortunately, the bad guys are always, uh, they too are very fluid and evolving on us. So before we get into our topic at hand, which I think we're going to have a very engaging conversation, I'm, I'm super excited for it. Let me give our listeners a little background and some bio on you, Sarah. Uh, joining me in studio today is Sarah Khan. She is the Chief Information Security Officer for Hightower Advisors. She has more than 15 years of experience in financial services. She and her team pride themselves on aligning people, processes, and technology solutions to deliver comprehensive security and infrastructure for scaling financial advisory businesses. Prior to joining Hightower, Sarah was on the technology management team focused on data and information at Calamos Investments. She graduated with a bachelor's in electrical engineering from University of Illinois, Chicago, and has a master's in computer informatics and science from Northwestern University. 
She also completed her executive program for financial services through the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. Oh, that's perfect because it's Halloween and it's spooky and cybersecurity spooky to me. Exactly. Or lack thereof is lack, spooky. Exactly. Lack, <laughs> lack of security. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, I think there's lots of tricksters and fraudsters out there uh, all the time, but certainly during this time of year. And so Sarah and I are going to have a conversation about some things to be aware of and ways you can protect yourself because it's just getting harder and harder to not really not to have any participation in the cyber world. Yeah. And I think, and it's definitely an important topic, uh, especially to raise awareness, because I think the most uh, important part is educating our clients and basically the the folks that are sitting in front of computers engaging with the internet. So um, love the opportunity to discuss uh, cybersecurity whenever possible, just because I think that the more ways and channels that we get this information out, hopefully people are more aware and educated on uh, some of the latest threats. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I think you raise a really good point right out of the gate, Sarah, is the latest threats, because although we're in a very fluid world, whatever lens or angle you want to view it, certainly um, I feel like you and your team probably are able to combat or get strategies or firewalls or whatnot against one type of way to perform um, fraud. And then uh, unfortunately, the bad guys are always, uh, they too are very fluid and evolving on us. So I think we can uh, agree, Bill and listeners, that Sarah is extremely educated and passionate about this topic. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much. Um, So like I said, this is an extremely important topic. And uh, one of the important things I think that we need to uh, get out there is the most common cybersecurity threats, uh, especially in the financial services sector, and especially for financial clients. So one of the key things that we'd like to draw attention to is uh, phishing attacks. So just to give some background on phishing attacks, these are basically attempts that are made via email in order to engage with a user, usually the email recipient. And what they're doing is clicking on a link or basically engaging or emailing back. And what there's two or three goals out of these emails. One is either you click, uh, you know, you end up inputting your credentials and now the credentials are given to the hacker. Number two is you're clicking on something and it downloads something onto your computer. And what it does is the installation file or some sort of file, it might be phoning home, basically sending data out, or it creates a backdoor. And then thirdly, they're just trying to collect sensitive information from you. So there's very important things that you should look out for when there is a phishing attempt. You know, one, look at the sender of the email. Do you recognize the sender? Um, What we're seeing a lot is that these hackers are purchasing domains that look very similar to the domain that you might actually try to engage with. So there might be a duplicate letter or there might be an extra instead of the L, it's an I or what we've seen is just, you know, playing around with the I and the L or just adding an extra S to make something plural. And it often goes by uh, unnoticed and they've replicated your site. So it looks like you're you know, logging into a portal that looks very familiar, but it might not be the case. So it's very important for users to stay vigilant and notice any kind of alteration or any kind of difference and look out for, you know, within the email, look out for any kind of syntax or vocabulary that doesn't seem common from usually who you receive the email from. And 
Obviously, if you notice anything, suspend it right away. Do, do not engage. Contact the institution that you're trying to engage with and see if that email is actually where it's coming from. Yeah, I, I those are all that's a lot of information that you just packed in there, Sarah. And you'll probably be happy to know that I already have completed my um, required training for this month for cybersecurity awareness. And a couple of the tips I remember from it are you mentioned, you know, confirming that it is truly the email address coming from your institution or whether it's a friend or colleague. And I do remember an easy way to do that is if you're on your computer, you can just hover your cursor over that because it might just say Nicole Romito. But if you hover your cursor over my name, then you can say, oh, yep, that's Nicole's actual email address. So I know it's not her instead of someone trying to defraud me. Right. And to your point, just to extend off of that, the, oftentimes, also when you're you're typing in your contact, it will pre-fill the email address. Oftentimes, if you're getting a you know false email or a phishing attempt, that email address won't pre-populate. But if you've gone back and forth with that old address, it might come up as a recent one. So it might be a good way to just check, like the like you what you were mentioning, hover over and then see if it it does match up with your contacts. Yeah, that is a good tip. Also, one of the things that I know. I think a lot of us are on checking our emails or doing a lot of electronic things on our phones, which obviously that doesn't have a cursor. And it's certainly generally a much smaller screen. Any tips you have on what to do if you're not sure and you're reading the email while on your phone? Yeah. So um, actually, there is a way when you're on your phone that you can expand the email address. I actually often do it just, Ooh, you know, great. Uh, this will be a, a tip I can use. So go on, yeah, please. So Basically on your, you know, the mail app, whether you use Outlook or whatever it may be, um, mm -hmm. when you see the from, you click on the name, it ends up becoming bold and you click on the little arrow to the right of it. And what it does is it gives you the underlying email address of it. And I, whenever I'm sending an email from my phone, I end up actually taking this extra step just because I know as a mobile user, you're more on the go. And so because you're working with a smaller real estate of the screen, right you end up wanting to make sure that you're sending something to the right person. So if I'm working on any kind of financial transactions or, or you know, recently um, we're closing out on a house and stuff, you just want to make sure that you're engaging with the right person. So I do take that extra step of expanding the name to see the underlying email address to ensure that I'm working with the right party. And if there's any doubt at all, I call the institution directly and ask them, did you send an email or can we you know, can I, can I give you the authorization via phone? Because I, I know the number that I'm dialing. Right. Yeah. That was a, I know one that we, when we're talking to clients or even when I'm talking to friends and family members is to make sure if you are going to call that you're not, you know, clicking on the phone number if you're on your phone or calling the number that was in the email. So go to the institution's website to make sure you're actually calling them. And again, not getting um, linked to the hackers. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes like people find it easy just because the numbers reference in the email to just click on that number. So it auto dials for you. Right. But it's just better when you're dealing with any kind of financial transaction again, to just call the known number or the authorized number that you have in order to talk to either your financial advisor or the account manager that you're working with, whoever that may be. Right. You know, Sarah, you raise an interesting point. What are your thoughts on doing financial transactions, you know, on your phone? So, right, everyone has an app 
What are your thoughts on if you're, you know, sending money via one of the payment systems to a friend to repay them back for dinner or doing making payments to your credit card or any type of that? Any yeah, thoughts, so, tips? Yeah. Or, uh, I mean, I would take maybe just a step backwards and just say, you know, when you're on the go, you know, what Wi-Fi should you be connecting to? And to be honest, some of these public Wi-Fis are very unsecure. So in right. that scenario, you don't know how some of the network is set up where things may be read in clear text as you're engaging with certain things. So instead, instead of connecting to a public Wi-Fi, you should actually just use your carrier signal, your carrier service. So just directly use the data from AT&T, Verizon, whoever your carrier is, instead of connecting to the Wi-Fi. Airports, Starbucks, those are some of the worst places where there's you know multiple ways that people can sniff the network traffic and things like that, or you just mm. don't know how it was set up. So Two things, either one, use the direct carrier signal. If you're using your laptop, use your hotspot if you're in a public place. And, you know, the hotspots are like basically a direct signal from the carrier, essentially. And so those are safer ways. And then for like, you know, to your question, financial transactions and whatnot, it is safer to conduct those types of transactions when you're on either a secure wireless where it's known, whether it's at your work or your home, where you know exactly the network you're connected to or the signal carrier itself. Okay. So as long as it sounds like what you're saying is stay off of the pub, the free public, public. Wi-Fi's. And if right. you're using your hotspot or your carrier's data, then it is um, it is okay to be doing financial transactions. Right. It, is, okay. it is safer. Um, and there's a lot of other things that you should be doing to protect your mobile devices, um, just because once you log on to the app, it may stay connected for 15 minutes and things like that. So you should have a lockout on your mobile device and... Um, you know, mine's set to, I think, a minute. So without one minute of engagement, it automatically locks. And then the pin oh. code that the pin code that um, I have set up is eight digits long, just because, you know, four digits is a big no-no. It takes less than four minutes, I believe. It might have been reduced even further wow. for someone to just, you know, attach it to this publicly available source code to hack into iPhones with four digit codes. So, you know, I can use one of those softwares and quickly get bypass that within four minutes. And I'm pretty sure it's less than that now, but right. the point being is the more digits, the more complexity it adds to try to run through the different combinations of passcode possible to break into your phone. Is that something you can change on your phone? I mean, I know mine is more than um, four, but uh, if someone has, I don't know if that's older software, or if that's tied to the hardware. Yeah, uh, so, or, okay. yeah so Apple does force um, force it, but I do like to add like an extra two or four digits uh, just to make it even more secure. Sure. Um, and, that, and that is a setting that you can change through your phone's um, settings and then basically passcode. Oh, cool. Right. Well, this is great. I've already learned two new things and we're only <laughs> a few minutes in. So thank you. No problem. Happy to share. I appreciate it. Um, is there any other, like, like you're talking about, we started out, which I think is a great place, the common threats or attempts, anything else you want to? Um... Yeah. The, the other thing that I would probably uh, want to make people aware of is social engineering, which in today's day and age with social media around, uh, it often becomes very easy to share our personal lives and, you know, personal things that matter. Um, so I think it's extremely important just because while, social engineering is in effect and we're innocently trying to share information maybe about our lives to keep other people updated, you know, our, our close family and friends, that information is then now sitting in the internet. 
So to just give a few examples, um, you know, some people may use combinations of, you know, their pet or their animal as passwords, and you post your new baby or you post, you know, your um, dog and the dog's name and things like that. What it does is you're equipping a hacker with information about what the password could potentially be. And what they do is something called the dictionary attack, where they're able to try different combinations where it could be a, you know, a special name of significance combined with a bunch of numbers and then maybe punctuation marks or letters. And it's just a matter of running through all these uh, different combinations to try to see if they can get through. The other way that social engineering is used is for phishing attacks where they can make something sound very relevant, where, you know, say I'm a pet lover and I've posted a bunch of pictures of all my pets. And then before I know it, I get an email from PetSmart about a huge discount and I'm excited about it just because I see something that's beneficial, it's favorable, something that that I, I would be interested in and I end up clicking it. So those are some some ways that social engineering can end up hurting you. Um and secondly, you know, I, this is something that I've started sharing and I hear this qu- quite often through the security network, which is, you know, be careful of how much you post about your your kids or your loved ones, just because especially like birth announcements, you've now given something called PII, which is personally identifiable information. And what that is, is enough information for someone to be able to maybe um open an account under their name or something like that, because what you're sharing out there is their date of birth, their full name. um, And it's pretty easy to figure out the address of where the parents live. So there's things that you want to be careful of what you're sharing. And so, you know, personally, when my nephew was born, my brother was quick to put that up, put post something about it. But what we wanted to do is make sure, you know, his middle name, his last name, the actual date of birth wasn't on there. Um, so these are some things that we have to start paying attention to because while we innocently want to, you know, share some of the joyous moments in our lives, those can also come back to hurt us because it could be misused by people that we don't want having that information. Oh gosh. Well, it's kind of I think like many things in life, right? There's there's upsides and pros to things, and then there's also downsides and cons. So you do want to be thoughtful about how you can still share the great news. But uh, as you said, maybe you're not putting the full birth announcement details out there on the World Wide Web for everyone to see. Right, exactly. So great. Uh, I know, too, one that um, certainly impacts uh, the day-to-day of when um, myself and my colleagues are interacting with clients is it's pretty common that people are um, buying real estate And that's been another area where there's been a lot of fraud when um, people have been hacking into and then sending uh, fraudulent wire instructions where you think you're sending the money to the title company or the closing agent um, and it's not going there. Um, I believe you had a recent scenario where someone got pretty far with that situation. Would you like to share that with our listeners and how they could avoid it? Yeah, so we actually, uh, this is a common scenario that was shared um, with actually the Chicago Financial Services Institutions, because they've been noticing these types of basically a strategy to try to get wires sent out. And what's happening is there's something called domain squatting or type of domain squatting, which is basically you're working with maybe an underwriter or you're working with a real estate, you know, partner and um the actual domain itself, another one is purchased that's similar to it. And we had kind of talked about it, which they just either add an extra letter or duplicate a letter that's not noticeable. And then they are able to go to the website and just see who 
who the um, associates are that are, would be working on something like that and create a similar email with wire instructions. And then there's some sort of urgency. We need it by you know 12 o'clock central time. And people have actually, there's been a few that have actually fallen for it. And you know this one transpired into, I believe it was like $800,000 that they weren't able to claim back. And so basically the purchaser, the buyer of the house had gotten the instructions, sent off the, uh, used the instructions and then wired the money off. And then when the investigation occurred, they were able to determine that the request actually came from a little, a different title agency, but named very similarly. And they used the exact first name and last name of the agent that was working on the actual closeout of the house. And so what we want to, what we want to do is keep a, again, those tips in mind, which is hover over the email address, make sure that you're looking at who you're engaging with. Secondly, call directly when you're wearing that kind of money, make sure that you're just calling them directly and, and, you know, verifying the actual banking account information or the wiring instructions. And that will save a huge, you know, a huge headache. Um, sometimes when it has occurred, the custodians are able to step in. So that's your Schwab or Fidelity. And um, we're able to open up a case and try to reclaim that money. But the longer that time goes, the harder it would be to get that money back. So that 800,000 loss that we were talking about, it actually went by unnoticed for more than 24 hours. So unfortunately, that wasn't oh, reclaimed. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it wasn't wow. reclaimed, unfortunately. Oh, that so, is unfortunate. Yeah. And uh, oftentimes, like the homes that are being sold, that's public information. You can go to Redfin, you can go to Realtor, any of these sites. Um, so you know exactly, you know, these hackers know exactly which houses are going to go for sale, who the local, you know, who, who the local agents are that may probably work on that case. So it's important to, you know, take those extra steps just to make sure if you're moving any kind of money, whether it's our, you know, staff members, whether it's the clients themselves, just make sure to take that extra step to verify. Yeah. And I think that might be a good segue, Sarah, to... um Often we'll have clients um, because there is so much fraud going on with electronic money movement. I mean, on one hand, it makes it so much easier to do life. But on the other hand, um, understandably, and myself included, is we have concerns about doing so much in the uh, virtual world, if you will. So do you want to share about at least through your role at Hightower. And as you mentioned, I know at Private Vista, we work with Schwab and Pershing as our custodians. And uh, they have people in your roles there as well who are are just trying to be as vigilant as possible to try and stay ahead of the game. So what are some of the things that you and your team are working on to help us protect our clients' monies? Sure. So um, we definitely work with our custodians to make sure that our security roadmaps are in line and um, basically aligned to the goal, which is protecting our clients' data and clients' uh, assets. And so it's important that, you know, as we determine the trends and some of the landscape changes, because it's a, it's a fast evolving environment, um, that we're up to date with those trends. So oftentimes there's things that at a larger level, we're looking at you know, encryption and just uh, methods of being able to use some of that intelligence to determine when something doesn't seem right and creating baselines and being able to determine this seems like unusual behavior and therefore we believe this might lead to something and having extra monitoring in place. Now, on the user side, we also establish these global policies um, in effect. And so like Private Vista, all of the employees, all of the uh, 
financial advisors, what's happening is they have certain policies in place that force them to do certain things. So strong password practices. So basically we have a policy in place where it prevents any of um, any of the users from creating simple passwords. It creates a complex password where there's, you know, alphanumeric with numbers because Oftentimes, if there's a hack that's happening, it's because there's an easy password. And to mitigate some of that, you also want to have two-factor authentication in place. So on the Hightower side and on the custodian side, everybody who's uh, working with client data, there's before they get authorized in, they're putting in their complex passwords, complex credentials, and then also validating it against with a two-factor authentication. So I would highly recommend on the client side, if you guys have, you know, anything that's personal, like personal accounts or things that are not managed by Hightower or the custodians, make sure you have two-factor authentication in place. Basically, any website nowadays that has uh, a username and password often also offers the two-factor authentication, especially if it's any kind of financial transaction, like web pages that are built within that portal. Secondly, just, you know, protecting personal financial information for our, you know, users and clients, safe browsing habits. So make sure you're recognizing suspicious websites, checking to see if there's website security. So a quick way to check is when you go to a URL, URL, just make sure it says HTTPS, especially if it's any kind of like financial related site. And then secure your personal devices. So make sure your softwares are up to date. Uh, make sure the apps are up to date. Oftentimes when you see this iOS update prompt coming up or you get recommendations about updating software or an app, it's because there's package security, known threats that there's, you know, basically the manufacturers worked on keeping that safe and basically patching it so that you're not a victim to that threat. So it's important to keep the devices up to date. At the high tower level, we're doing that at a system level. So we can't do that at personal devices because that's you know owned by the clients and the users. But on our side, we're doing it at a system level where we're making sure the website is up to date. We're making sure it's you know encrypted. We're making sure that it's protected, that there's a gateway that's protecting the entire environment itself. And then um, lastly, the the antivirus and anti-malware programs are important for the uh, you know personal devices that are issued out there. So on the Hightower side, we have a full management patch management system around all of the laptops that are out there um, and any of the, even the personal phones. If they're connecting to Hightower, there's a package that gets rolled out to the phone in order for it to be in a secured, like encrypted container. And what's important in that is that these virus detection programs or, you know, anti-malware, they recognize some of the known viruses, the known threats that are out there, and it protects your endpoint from being affected. Hey, pardon the interruption. I know you are listening to Dollars and Cents, creating your fulfilled life with Nicole Romito, and we're happy you're here. If you have any questions, please head over to myprivatevista.com or the show notes to find out how to reach us. We'd love to hear from you. That's great. That's a lot, but I yeah, think you know, <laughs> like wow. Um, what are your thoughts on? I know a lot of the phones now have you know it used to be like your fingerprint, if you will, and that could open up your phone. And now they do a lot of the face facial recognition. Do you have any thoughts on is that good or is that something to avoid? Yeah, it, it is helpful. In my situation, I do use a, you know, a, use a combination where certain apps, they do require an extra pin. Uh, so mm-hmm. I can get into my phone with my face ID, but certain apps that are a little bit more sensitive, 
usually their financial accounts and then some of my health apps. Um, okay. I do, I do put in an extra pin or it does require me to put the password in um, before I can do that. And so now I, I hear the, there's too many passwords to try to remember. So there's something called password management or password vault. And what that does is it manages all your passwords for you so that you don't have to memorize um, all these different passwords because you should never use the same password for any account, right? So you should have a unique password for each one of your accounts. And in order to keep that organized and in order, there's tools or softwares called Dashlane or LastPass. And these are password vaults that manage the website, the username and password, and it keeps it encrypted and safe and stored for you. And so when you try to log into it, you can actually log into Dashlane or any of these password management vault apps, and it'll automatically log you in. So then that way you don't have to deal with making your password clear text and then trying to type it in or trying to remember. And so it's just an efficient way of having your passwords kept you know, encrypted and safe, and then being able to log you in safely. So that's one of the the important things is just, you know, making sure you're using password management. Um, and you can, you know, you can get logged in pretty safely into um, wherever you need to, aside from the face ID, just because it, it is it is a way of being efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like to take that extra step when it comes to some of these sensitive apps. Yeah, I I agree. I think you really can't be too vigilant these days to protecting your information. Do you want to maybe we can give a little to the degree you can kind of like where you see our industry going as we, you know, continue to try to help reduce and ideally eliminate these type of attacks since we are, you know, working with all our clients and their money? Yeah. So I don't know if there's really a way to eliminate attacks. They will continue to be there and they will be persistent. So I think it's a matter of exactly what we're doing, making sure that we're educating our users of the newest threats and the risks that are out there and the trends. And I, it's up to the cybersecurity professionals to also ensure that they're up to date on what's going on and incorporating those into the systems. And, you know, what we're really seeing is mainly a focus on financial services and basically the healthcare uh, industry. And so I think those two, there's a lot of, you know, cybersecurity compliance and regulations that are going into effect um, at a national and global level. And we have heard that acronym GDPR before, and that's data protection laws that are out there. And that was started by Europe. But now we are starting to see America formalizing some of these protection laws. Um, and California and New York were one of the first ones that started it. There was NYDFS and CCPA. And so at a larger scale, I think a lot of these data protection laws are out there trying to keep our consumers, our users, our clients safe, making sure that data isn't floating around. And, you know, at a system level, we're doing what we can at a legal level, we're doing what we can. And I think at a user level, we need to continue pushing that education out and our users need to be open to receiving that education so that they know how some of this data could be misused and it it could, it could hurt them. Um, And so I think the education and awareness piece is important. And I think it's going to continue being a trend where that will be one of our focal points in making sure that in order to keep the overall environment safe, basically everyone's in it. Everyone's got a responsibility. Yes, yes. Because I know uh, in order to be as protected as possible, as we mentioned, there's extra steps or different sites and things to log in. And I think as all of us continue to be just being more and more pressed for time. At times, it can get a little aggravating 
Um, and people are like, well, just, you know, just send me it in an attachment and I'll print it. And uh, we're like, well, we can't do that because we got confidential information. So I love that you highlighted it. We're all in it together. And we all have the end goal of uh, protecting our clients' uh, information and certainly not having their money go to the wrong place. Absolutely. Uh, on that note, Sarah, is there for our listeners, are there any um, like sites or maybe cyber experts or things that people could either follow to try to stay abreast of either the latest scams and or as equally important, like things you can do to whether better protect your devices or things like that. So kind of like a uh, not like the daily skim or anything, but people that you trust or good websites where people can get accurate information. Sure. Um, there are a few places where you can get um, either interactive training if you were interested. Um, and then there's the CISA gov, like CISA gov, and there is uh, education on cyber threats and some of the trends that are happening. Um, I think some of the recent ones were just what was targeting school systems. And I think that becomes important because, you know, a lot of folks are worried about maybe their children and how they engage with the internet. So CISA.gov is one of the ones that does uh, publish what's happening. CrowdStrike does actually have some educational corner where they're able to, um, you know, share some of the latest trends of what's going on. And then I'm also, uh, I'll also send a list over to Private Vista. So then that way they can share that with the user base so that it's clickable. I know sometimes it's hard to listen to it and then try to um, remember the references that were being made. So I can send a That'd list over. That'd be great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I do think a lot of our, I, I know myself personally, but a lot of our clients want to do the right thing. And it's just, again, as you get out on the internet, first of all, there's just such a deluge of information. And even myself, I'll be like, can I trust this person? Or is this the most, you know, up to date thread and strategy of how to thwart it? So that would be great if you could send those over and then we can put them in the show notes. Absolutely. Well, great. Well, I, certainly, um, you and I could probably talk for a couple of weeks and not cover all the all the threats and tips and things like that. As we go ahead and wrap up, is there maybe, uh, I won't even put a number, but like maybe if you want to do one or two, kind of like the top takeaways, like if our listeners take nothing else away, what would be like the one or two things that they could kind of focus on or do as their next step to better protect their online presence? Yeah. I mean, the first thing and the one that is basically thematic throughout the entire conversation is stay vigilant. Just be very vigilant and conscious of what you're clicking on, you know, when you're engaged. Oftentimes what hackers are basically ploying on is that a lot of us are on autopilot mode because we often know exactly where we're trying to, you know, we're trying to go. We just click on it, log in. And oftentimes the autopilot mode kicks in when you see a username field and a password field, and you just blindly input it because you might have multiple things going on at the same time. So what I would say is just make sure that when you're engaging with the internet, just, you know, take that extra step of just being a little bit more in tune, more conscious of where you're going and making sure that, you know, wh what you're clicking on intending or where you're sharing information is where you're truly meant to share information. Um, so I think that becomes very important. And then number two, just uh, data privacy and just, um, you know, some of the intelligence that's out there and 
you know, we're hearing trend trends around like chat GPT type of, so just generative AI. So there's a lot of automation behind some of these hacks nowadays. And so I think what, what we need to do as users is share as little information as possible out in that public general world and share the information that you need to privately in an authorized way, um, in an encrypted manner so that the information lands in the right hands and it stays only there. And so sometimes we do hear users or clients getting frustrated because there's extra steps that they need to take in order to get to like a secure mail or a separate portal. But it really pays off at the end because that extra step is what leads to protecting your money. And we don't hear more scenarios or cases about these like $800,000 losses. Yeah, exactly. I I think the key is, you know, step back, take a breath and slow down when you're entering in, you know, your user IDs, make sure you're going to the right site. And because I think you and I both know it's going to be a lot more time on the back end if you're trying to fix it. And to your point, at some point after a certain period of time, it's, it's not fixable. So Take the time on the front end uh, to our listeners and uh, you'll keep everything safe and not have to go through a lot of hassles and using even more time on the back end. Absolutely. Well, great. Well, Sarah, uh, thank you for sharing um, what I know is just a small piece of your vast knowledge in this uh, ever-changing and fluid part of the world. I know on behalf of my colleagues and our clients at Private Vista, we appreciate that you are staying at the forefront of this and staying vigilant on all our behalf. So thank you. I appreciate um, it. And yeah, our entire team is dedicated for this type of work. And I, I think just uh, these opportunities where we're able to have interested clients, interested users getting educated, I think it's a it's a key and it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. Yes, I agree. So with that, we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap up that portion of our conversation. Um, I think, as you may know, with each of my guests on the podcast, I like to kind of wrap up with a little fun question. And that is, if you could live anywhere in the world, no time constraints, no financial constraints, uh, just where would it be and why? I think I would pick Bali, uh, Indonesia. Ooh, nice. (laughs) Uh, I had the opportunity of going there and it is just a very calm, serene place. Uh, and it j- you just feel like you're getting kind of pulled out of the madness of this world and just kept in a, a like, it's a very peaceful and I would assume that's what maybe paradise would look like uh, or feel like, but it's just a, it's a, basically you could do anything, right? There's something for activity for outdoors people um, to meditate, be able to pray, just, uh, you know, be in your mind space. So it's just a, a calming place that it would be great if I could ever, you know, retire there. Oh, that sounds great. I know Bali's always been on my list. I haven't yet uh, been able to visit it, but that will uh, definitely keep it on my list because I've heard nothing but good things about it. Yeah. The entire country is great, to be honest, like mainland Indonesia, uh, the Jogja Islands. Mm-hmm. All of it. Oh, so. that's fantastic. Yeah, well, great. One day. Yes, I, I hope that for you as well. Thank you so much. All right. So yeah. So again, thanks for sharing a small piece of your wisdom and certainly your time today. Um, I would think that uh, that is probably your most important asset because as we mentioned, uh, this is a ongoing endeavor and continually evolving, unfortunately. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the, like I said before, 
it it's basically a job that's shared between our, ourselves, the cybersecurity team, um, and then our end users. And Private Vista is taking great steps on making sure um, you know, we get that education pushed out and we'll be happy to share that list for anybody who's interested to get further education. Yeah, that's great. So to our listeners, uh, we will make sure to include some of those sites in the show notes. So you'll have those handy and it's a lot easier just to click on the link. If you do have any questions about, you know, how Private Vista and Hightower and then the other custodians we work with, um, what measures are being taken or, um, you know, want to just discuss this at all with your advisor, uh, you can contact us either at 312-831-4370 and we'll get you connected to your advisor or you can certainly um, find us on our website at myprivatevista.com and there's a contact button um, on our homepage. That was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Sarah, before you get out of here, I, I have a couple of questions that have been uh, on my mind about cybersecurity and, and you kind of touched on one with the uh, use of password managers, I am constantly paranoid that my phone or my my computer will be hacked into, and I'm leery about putting sensitive password information in there, like, for example, financial services, because I worry that the password managers can be hacked. Are they, are they actually a safe, secure way to keep uh, your login information stored? Yeah, so the password vault would probably be your your answer, um, just because it requires an ex- an additional master password in order to be able to get mm-hmm. into it. Um, and it's an app that's also on your phone, so you can access it from anywhere. Um, and what th- the other neat feature that is baked into that password manager is you can have either your spouse or whoever you may need to you know share your passwords with, or you yeah. can share specific passwords with. Um, your family members, or if you're using it at a business capacity with your partners or team members. And there's actually another function that if you need your passwords left behind, should something happen to you uh, and you're never able to log in again for whatever reason, right? <laughs> um, uh-huh. so, someone is the beneficiary to it. Oh, great. Yeah, no, that is terrific. And this last question, I already know the answer to this, but I have some people that I know who think it's fun to engage in scammers once they have been uh, contacted by them. Is it ever a good idea or good practice to engage with the scammers thinking you can one-up them? Yeah, I I wouldn't uh, just because, well, one, you know, when you get an email or something like that from them, uh, they're also, there's another thing that they're doing, which is they're trying to check if it's a live account. Like, is someone monitoring that account? Is someone responding? Mm-hmm. So what you give them is this is an active account. And what that might do is an invitation for different methods, which, you you know, they're hoping that you fall for one of them. And sometimes we do, right? So it's just, yeah. you don't want to entice them. And then secondly, I think the more you end up, even if you're trying to just, you know, trying to outsmart them, there is like pieces of information that they will be able to pick up on if you're on the phone. You know, some of them are so sophisticated that they are trying to record your voice and the tonation of it and things like that. So I would just say nothing good really comes from it. And (laughs) they're out there for not so good reasons. So might as well just, you know, let them be, but just be aware and, you know, stay clear. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be any win in that situation from my right. perspective. Right? right, right. Yeah, don't poke the bear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm I'm sure you know people have better things to do with their time. At the time, you know, you're frustrated because it's happening and you know better. But it's just 
you know, not worth it. Not a good idea. <laughs> thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much. And Nicole, thank you for uh, bringing us this conversation. It was very interesting. I know you mentioned that there will be more information in the show notes. What uh, probably people should know, too, is that they can reach out and ask you questions and engage you in a conversation as well. Uh, if they want to do that, how best to get a hold of you? Uh, sure. If they want to reach out to me directly, um, probably email is the best way. Uh, and that's going to be at uh, nromito at myprivatevista.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Nicole. Thank you. And, and thank you, listeners, for listening to this episode. We hope you found it interesting and useful. If you are not a subscriber, please become one. Hit the subscribe button. It couldn't be easier. And then you don't have to worry about where or when this podcast comes out. It will be delivered directly to you. And if you're so moved, rate it and share it with others. Help other people learn about this podcast and uh, bring a little sunshine into their life, if you will. On behalf of Nicole Romito and everybody at Private Vista, I'm Bill Tucker, urging you, don't wait. Live your best life today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Dollars and Cents, Creating Your Fulfilled Life with Nicole Romito, sponsored by Private Vista. Visit our website at www.myprivatevista.com or give us a call at 312-831-4370. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Private Vista is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other data or information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Private Vista and Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions, or results obtained from the use of this information. Private Vista and Hightower Advisors, LLC, assume no liability for action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The information is provided as of the date referenced. Such data and other information are subject to changes without notice. This was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.